All right. Father, thank you for this time to get together again. Thank you for the song we're able to hear um, and the beautiful portrayal it is of your uh, amazing love um, and that our brokenness um, is the very thing that gets in the way of us experiencing it uh, from our perspective. But when we begin to think about how you see us and the secure place we have um, in your sight in Jesus, um, we're overwhelmed. Uh, we're, we're met with this uh, reckless love that... Uh, it never changes, regardless of, of, of what we may throw at it or what questions we may have. We thank you for that incredible security and peace we have in Jesus. Help us to see today kind of how we get in our own way uh, to experience and rest in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we looked at this passage yesterday from Zephaniah chapter 3, um, and we read it as this kind of crown, just this amazing picture of God's love. We talked about how um, uh, three chapters in Zephaniah, and here towards the end he starts to say these, uh, these amazing things that blow us away, and that the, list, the original audience would have been just stunned, based, especially what they had just heard, but also um, what they knew of God, or what they thought they knew of God. The Lord of God is in your midst, remember, and that would have been like, oh no, God's here, you know. That would have been frightening for them. But no, He's not there. He is a mighty one, but He's there to save them. He wants to seek their flourishing. He wants to help and secure them. He's rejoicing over them with gladness. He sees them as His, his prize. Um, he's, he wants to quiet them with His love. You know, all of the stirring in our hearts and our, and our foolishness and our chasing after other loves. And we're trying so much to find peace and rest. And He's saying, my love, I want to quiet you. If you could just if you could know my love and rest in it, there can be a stillness. This exulting of you with loud singing we talked about uh, a little bit about what that means so so that's an incredible picture but so why is this amazing promise you know uh why is this so amazing well the context here and this is a quote from from a book that i'll read a little bit more about in a second but it said zephaniah is not writing to the noble but the nincompoops you know we don't use that word much but i love it uh we we could see that and think oh this is one of those verses where god's talking about like the guys who were the good guys you know that they kind of these were the ones that were sort of getting it right right but they're none of those people in the bible these he was writing to nincompoops those who deserve the judgment God had become the recipients of His delight. Deserved judgment had become the recipients of His delight. He doesn't just tolerate forgiven sinners. We who have trusted Christ fill His heart with gladness. He hasn't just made room for us in heaven. He has made room for us in His joyful heart. Um, it's not about just kind of getting, getting you into a certain place where He can call you if He needs. He wants this is the amazingness of God and His love. He wants each and every one of His people in Jesus. He has the capacity to have a, a direct, individual, loving relationship with you in His own heart because He is God. Um, this is another little bit of context for us. Oh, I did it again. Every single time. I forget to mark my place. Page 29. There we go. Page 30. There it is. So again, this is about the context of Zephaniah that leading up to that passage. The perfections of God were on a collision course with the putrefactions of men. It's a great word, putrefaction. Some of you guys have little brothers and like, your putrefaction bothers me. Uh, this just grossness, you know, this brokenness, this complete mess. Before there would be any singing, shouting, and dancing for joy in the house of God, a certain question had to be dealt with. How can a people who are seeking joy, community, and meaning from sources other than God expect to have fellowship with, his holy, with this holy God? This holy God who is attended by face-covered angels declaring over and over and over in heaven, even now, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, in Zephaniah's day, God's people were living a lot like us, like morons among morons. 
Ever since the death of good King Hezekiah, who was one of the decent kings, he certainly wasn't perfect. Um, there were a lot of foolish kings who led God's people astray. After King Hezekiah died, Judah and her capital city, Jerusalem, had been in a spiritual decline. Taking their cue from the surrounding nations, a lot like you and I, taking our cues for where rest and peace and hope and joy is found, looks, coolness, humor, accolades, stuff, all those kind of things. So we're a lot like them. Taking their cue from the surrounding nations, the surrounding culture, their worship of the one true God had become mere lip service. They knew a lot of the words. They knew the history. They knew about their forefathers. They knew about this God of Abraham, God of Jacob. They knew the story. They knew lots of the law. These were people who kind of going to church was part of their kind of cultural experience, so to speak. However, Lesser gods had captured their imagination and hearts. Again, they were chasing after. Uh, They knew of this love of God, this God who's been pursuing a people unto himself, but they had been wooed and they're chasing after lesser gods, these things like status and stuff. See, God, evermore the righteous judge of all the nations and the jealous lover of his people, made his intentions quite clear for two and a half of Zephaniah's three chapters. Cosmic judgment is coming. And God's saying to them, hey, I've seen all this lip service. I've seen all this superficiality. I see where you're chasing after things. And that's not going to cut it. You could summarize this voice of kind of God's understandable wrath in saying the whole, he gets to just a few verses before verse 17 in Jephaniah. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. You're thinking, oh, that's that frightening God that makes me a little bit confused. Like, how can that God be so loving? One of the ways we can think about the wrath of God, um, we don't like to think about it, but if you, if someone took one of my children and they were kidnapped, you know, I wouldn't be like, just, just get my kid back. That guy, that guy's fine. You know, I'd be like, no, I want to take him out back and show him a few things in my tool shed. Um, I would want, I would want judgment. I would want justice. I would, I would be angry because something I love has been taking, has been, has been removed from me. Right? Uh, you know, if you had a, a bunch of bunnies and and uh, a fox came and got into their pen and just shredded them, um, I say that because that actually happened. Lots of families in Charlottesville have chickens and they're always trying to figure out ways to keep the foxes out. Um, I digress. So there's an awful picture. But hey, would you be like, would you be like, ah, it's a cute fox, you know? Look at his furry tail. You'd be like, my bunnies! And you would want to attack said fox. And you would, it would that's, a, that's, a, that's a picture of wrath, if you will, right? You come out there with guns ablazing, metaphorically or literally, depending on where you live. Um, I want you guys to hear that So what God's saying here is so many of these pictures kind of before Christ came, before God's love was made manifest in the Son, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to understand who God is, look at Jesus. You know, and that is the the scriptures say all the fullness of the deity came in bodily form. Like Jesus was the fullness of God's glory. So we can understand God so much better if if we see Jesus. And what these pictures, what Zephaniah three sixteen, these pictures of, of God's grace and mercy are, they're they're windows in the Old Testament to what God makes clearer in Jesus. So sometimes we see in the Old Testament it seems like God is just kind of this whack a mole God, you know. If y'all play whack a mole at like an arcade, you know what I'm talking about? Um, so I'm hoping this is a game that never goes away. But I grew up most of my life thinking that that's what God was like. That if I if I stuck if I stuck my head up kind of being you know doing something wrong, you know, he hit me on the head. You know, but it's it's a little bit of a silly illustration, but the actually the God of the scriptures to those who are in Jesus you know there's gonna, we're going to make mistakes we're going to do things we're going to be broken and our heads pop up you know and, and instead of that God's trying to, he's trying to hug us you know he's trying to grab us and say no I got you 
Don't, don't, be, don't think you're defined by your brokenness. He's not saying, oh, your brokenness is no big deal. He's saying, in Jesus, I've dealt with it. I don't want to hold you, but we're too busy ducking his hug. We're, ducking, we're, we're so focused on our brokenness sometimes. So that's where we make this transition of, well, well, what was going on in Zephaniah's time is very similar to what's going on in our time. How can we experience this? What's going on with this disconnect uh, uh, between God's love and our experience of it? The, the peace and rest that comes from it. Um, and, and I like to summarize it this way. Morgan did a great job last night saying if we want to think about this idea of peace with God and why we don't have it or experience it, where did he say we need to start? With ourselves, yeah. I do it this way. Oh, wait. We skipped the passage. Oh, there you go. Well, I'm not going to read that other passage. Um, I am going to read this. Hang on. Um, I got myself a little twisted up. I was thinking that was a different passage. I digress. Why? Well, Romans Romans starts off by saying something pretty impress- impressive. We're not going to read this whole thing here. At the end of the section where God, where Paul is trying to say, again, these are, he's writing this to Christians in Rome who are baby Christians and they're growing, and he's trying to explain to them, um, he's, he's saying to them to encourage them and remind them of what they've been called to, but also this letter as it is even now is used to tell others about the love of God. At the very end of this situation where he's kind of explaining the problem about mankind knowing there was a God, knowing His greatness, but what they did as he explained to them, and Paul himself was one of the same people, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. What we do every day, in little ways and big ways, even Christians, we, up, we turn the world upside down, God's world upside down. We put ourselves in a position of control, ourselves in a position of understanding, ourselves in a position of deciding what's right and wrong, ourselves in a position of what, what's, uh, what defines us, and we move Him down to this kind of this manageable deity, this little thing over on the bedside table. We exchange the truth about God. He's the Creator. He's the great lover of our souls. He's our sustainer. In Him is life. Uh, it began with Him and it will end with Him. It's all about God. I find my identity in Him. What we do is we flip that and we put ourselves in the position of power and control. And you're thinking, oh, I've never actually done that. But the way we see that is in so many little ways. And that's where we get to this slide. The problem is not um, our circumstances. The problem is not uh, anything but something that's going on inside of us. And I'm not wagging my finger at y'all or at myself. I'm just naming a truth about us being broken people. There's so much brokenness in us, we don't even understand the depth of our brokenness. But we have to begin there to see how we wrestle, to see how we miss out on God's love. This letter I begins with me. We keep ourselves in the middle. We keep ourselves in the driver's seat. We keep ourselves in control of our lives. It shows the deeper belief in ourselves. What we may proclaim, um, and I'm not saying it's false belief, God, I love God, God loves me, I'm a Christian, that's good. But when we think about the day-to-day experiences, a lot of times we, we kind of want to be the one in charge. We want things to go the way we want things to go. Um, as a 43-year-old man, a couple years ago, I came to the, a, a head-on collision with a passage that some of you guys have heard before. There's a passage in Proverbs that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So trust in the Lord with all your understanding. Uh, with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. I lived all my life and still tend to live my life doing it this way. Trust in the Lord with all my heart, with all my understanding, but, and, and I lean on my own understanding. I just got that all messed up. I do trust in the Lord. He's there. I profess Him. But I, but I lean on my own understanding. I like to think I can figure anything out. 
we was talking before class about, or maybe that was last class, uh, uh, I love working on cars. I love doing home repairs. I'm, I consider myself a very small age handyman. Um, I'm just good enough to fix something for it to maybe break two days later um, or try to fix my car and realize oh, I just broke it worse. But I, I, I want so much to be able to fix things. Um, people's situations, my, my, my kids when they're struggling, my relationship with my kids, my marriage, uh, my job, my, um, my bank account, my car. Um, I just... I just grind so hard that I can figure this out. Now, God's not saying anywhere, hey, just sit back and let things float along. We're supposed to engage. But as you play that out in your life, you realize a lot of the stress, a lot of the lack of peace, a lot of the lack of hope I might experience is because when I apply that to my day-to-day life, I'm like, where am I seeking God's face? Where am I remembering that God has me? Where am I remembering that I'm, 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 my identity is in Him and not in my ability to figure things out um, for, for good or for ill? That I'd lived so much of my life leaning most of all in my own understanding. And this says, in all your ways acknowledge God, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. That doesn't mean everything's going to be, you know, wonderful if you just acknowledge God, but it's like, in everything, so like in my schoolwork, in my friendships, in my family, in my uh, aspirations for the future, in my considerations of my sinful past or my brokenness, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And what happens in those moments is we get these whispers, if not shouts, of Him reminding us of His great love. But too often, we don't go there. We stay in the eye. We keep ourselves in the middle. Um, and you see that in so many different ways. I mean, Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, it was all about, they knew about God clearly, but they're like, hmm, I think Maybe God's holding out on us. That fruit does look delightful. And the serpent said it was good for attaining wisdom. You know, I think maybe we can do this, right? And it was very much about their own understanding. They reached up and grabbed. Um, uh, same thing with you know Moses, Abraham, all these people throughout the Scriptures. Their struggle is that they're thinking about things through their own perspective. They're putting themselves in charge. Uh, you see this, you know, you guys babysit or hang out with small children. You know, uh, you may recognize, you know, if you put a couple of small children, like little toddlers, you know, in a room with some toys or whatever, usually what happens is the one who can talk a little bit is like, Hello, Susie, there are only three toys. I would love for you to play with them. Have them all you want. I want to find joy in your happiness. No, they're like, mine. You know, they're grabbing them and, they, and it becomes like this. No, I wanted to play with that. Me too, are you? And they always want to play with the other person has, and it's just it's part of our broken kind of from before we can even talk. It's this kind of grasping, and we want things to be our way. We want to, we want to control our own kingdom. You get a little bit older, you know, um, you know, siblings in the backseat on a road trip. You know, there's that that silly parent like pretend there's a wall between you. You know, don't hit your brother. Uh, can you just leave each other alone? And like you're, whatever it is, like your little brother is always you know a devil. You know, and uh, he, uh, or an older sister, whatever it may be. You know, siblings for. Whatever reason, we we just perceive them to be opposition. You know, they're in our way. Uh, you get a little bit older. You know, you guys maybe aren't in this place yet, but you know, most adolescents when they're maybe they're, they get to be driving or they get to be where they can spend some time out in the evenings on the weekend. And most most of them are like, "Yes, parents. Uh, yes, mom. Thank you. I understand you want me home at ten. Most of my friends will be out to stay till till later, but I love and appreciate your great guidance in my life. And uh, I would love to just come home whenever. And yes, of course, I will bring you a milkshake from the place we're hanging out, um, etc., etc. No. That's that's a silly example because we have this sense of like everyone's in my way. I want to do it my way. Um, I want to experience things the way I want to experience things. Uh, and these are again all these little ways that kind of when you extrapolate that, when you push that out, we can see how how quickly we get in the way of of, of experiencing God's love because we're so busy uh, wrapped up in our picture of the way we see our experience. Um, and so we see this in Scripture. Um, uh, 
Oh, before I even said that, we see this in Scripture. I'm going to re- read some passages that talk about how um, we try to... Oh, i got my words mixed up. So what happens is, okay, you've seen... I think maybe I've, I've at least gotten some of y'all's attention. That you're like, yeah, something you said in the past five minutes about focusing on ourselves, I resonate with that. Um, and what we tend to do then is you hear someone say, well, even Morgan last night, you understand, you're right. I am weak. I am a sinner. I believe in my sin. I'm the enemy of God. Um, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, maybe I still feel that way. We immediately go into ourselves and think, all right, well, I'm going I'm to pull this thing together. Uh, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. Uh, I'm going to stop hanging out with that person who I know is a bad influence on me. Or I'm, I'm gonna, uh, again, we go back to ourselves with the tension on I. And what happens here is while we are the problem, we are not the answer to the problem. Because when we put the focus back on ourselves, when we do that, we put the focus on ourselves, puts us back in control, um, not God. The focus isn't on God. We're in control, not God. P- hope is on our backs. That means I have to figure this out. Not, not hope coming from outside of us. Push it. Actually, rather than welcoming God or moving closer to God, it's actually pushing God away. When we, when we take on the task of getting good, of being good, um, I'm not saying you shouldn't aspire to these things, but when we begin to think about that our identity is wrapped up in that, rather than getting closer to God, we're actually pushing Him away because what we're doing is we're, we're claiming a certain goodness that we will never at- achieve. Uh, and it doesn't accept, accept the gift freely given and just reinforces the problem. That's why a lot of our lives, I know for me, as I said yesterday, I'm in this with you, like a lot of my life has been a cycle of kind of growing closer to God, appreciating Him more, understanding Him more, and then falling into a cycle of kind of working life out on my own, struggling, and then realizing, oh, if, if I would just accept and believe who He is and what He said of me, it draws me closer to Him, and then I get a little complacent or I get a little full of myself or things get tough. It's this vicious cycle. Um, but a couple of passages I want to read that, that begin to help us see that God is not just someone up there you know, saying, you know, Quit doing that. Stop it. You know, I don't know if y'all seen that funny skit, but uh, God's not up there saying, stop it, figure it out, stop being broken, quit being so foolish, um, quit finding, uh, trying to find love in sports and, and, uh, and, and boys and academics and all that good stuff. He's trying to communicate to us through Scripture. As we saw in the Old Testament, that Zephaniah passage, we'll see another Old Testament passage tomorrow, this God of love who's pursuing His people and chasing us down. We see this in this passage right here. Where This is one of my favorite texts in Scripture that talk about how, what God's love does. And I've taken out some pieces just to simplify. That's when you see these little dot, dot, dot. That means a chunk has been left out. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead, but God... And I say buts in Scripture are very important. Some, sometimes little younger kids, <laughs> buts in Scripture. But they are. Um, and it also gets your attention. But, you know, but God... So we're dead, but... God being rich in mercy because, I love this phrase, because of the great love with which He loved us. It doesn't say because He was capable of it or because He had it all figured out and, and knew the right pattern. No, it's because he, of the great love with which He loved us. When things are repeated in Scripture, it's often an opportunity for us to really hear something. Because of His love, even when we were dead, we were made alive with Christ. Like the same life that is in Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect, the God in man, that's the same kind of life we have in Him because of His love. By grace you've been saved. A lot of you guys have heard this verse. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not from you figuring it out. It's not from you getting broken. It's straight up here. The gift of God. The gift 
of God. This idea of God's love is always coming in a gift. Another passage here that just hits this, this idea of free gift, free gift, free gift. But the free gift is not like the trespass. This is a comparison between Adam and his trespass, his brokenness, his sin, which, which brought death to all man, and Jesus in his perfect righteousness, his free gift of his life, death and resurrection, and how it affects everybody. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, that's two times free gift, by the grace that of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. You know, we are, like he said last night, in our sin, because of the, Adam, because of the fall, passed on to us, we are broken, separated from God condemnation, but the free gift, fourth time, following many trespasses brought justification, made us right with God. Justification, we are, we are of new status, not guilty. No matter what you throw at God, already or in ten years from now, if you're a believer, all of that sin and mess and brokenness is dealt with, paid in full, the debt's paid, there's, nowhere, there's no one at the prison waiting for you to show up, saying, when's he, you know, we finally got to get that guy in for all... No. Jesus has gone into that prison and wrote out your sentence for you, completely, for all of us. He did that on the cross. Uh, and our life is now bound up with Him in heaven because He rose from again. Again, free gift. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will be those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Five times free gift in three verses. There's this passage, there's this, there's this pattern that the Scriptures are trying to say. We're broken. God loves us. God moves towards brokenness. He doesn't sit back and wait for you to come to Him. And what He brings to you is a free gift. And the free gift is not the ability to get it right. The free gift is peace and rest even though you don't. The free gift is, I am, in a sense, I am my own worth enemy, but in Christ, God is not flinching. Here's God. Here's us. We're living our life. God pursues you. And at some point, whether you're three years old, you never know a day that Jesus didn't love you, and you joined the church as a little kid, and you've always known God loves you, and you're a Christian, and that's great. Or whether you're like me, and you're a freshman in college, and you thought you had life figured out, and you're exhausted, giving up, couldn't figure out life. But all of a sudden, at some point, through whatever circumstances, boom, God comes and grabs a hold of you, and, and you respond with, Oh yeah, I believe in this God. He does love me, and, and I don't have to figure it out. And, and I have, can I have peace even though I'm broken? I'm like, Oh, I love you too, God, and you're so great. And we're all huggy duggy, and it's like, I want to read your Bible every day and pray and just, just listen to songs that only say Jesus 150 times and just love and joy, right? Um, and it's just like, you're feeling tight. But ever so, you know, then life comes along it's like, ooh, something happens. A bunny dies or you fail a test or, you know, your date leaves you five minutes into your first date in college. I don't know who that was. Um, um, <clears throat> that's a whole, that's a hilarious story, but that is exactly what happened. Um, um, yeah, uh, don't ask someone on a date that you have that you don't really know. Um, anyway, uh, I digress. Um, and you're in, at these moments where you're kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just kind of complacent, you know, and not really kind of thinking about God much. But then if bad things happen, you're like, ah, oh, God, I'm kind of mad at you. And why did you happen? And I don't even believe. What's not changing? God still got me, right? He still got you. And when you realize that through a song, through a sermon, through a friend, 
All of a sudden, it's like those are the moments like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. And you feel, these, this, you feel this sense of God's love and you can appreciate it. And you can then go out into life saying, hey, that's the beautiful thing about, about this free gift. When you receive the free gift, not reach for it or attain it or do anything to deserve it. When you receive this free gift, you have everything that you could possibly be given. Ephesians talks about we receive every spiritual blessing in Jesus freely. What you do is you have that free gift, again, whether you're 5 or 55, and you take that gift with you into every circumstance of your life. You take that free gift of God's love, overwhelming, undeserved, reckless love into your broken relationships, into your confusion about the future, into your difficulties at home, into your not liking the way you look, into not liking the way you play sports, and whatever it is that's part of your, 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 your difficulty and brokenness where you feel like God has just turned His back, you actually have it and you bring it into those situations because those situations and your struggles don't define you. God's love defines you. Great example of this as well is, um, uh, uh, and we're just about done, by the way, because I know you're all like, it's time to go party! Um, uh, so a pastor was telling a story about a, um, about a woman in his congregation who, on a, for a while in her life, she played Mickey Mouse on a Disney cruise ship. Um, so she, she would put on the costume and go out and interact with all the people and the children and whatever, and she, when she did that, she, she literally became Mickey Mouse to everyone out there. Inside the costume, she was tired, a little bit nauseated, exhausted from multiple days of doing this, hungry, you know, sweating bullets. You know, inside, she was a mess. But everyone on the outside looked at her as like, Mickey Mouse! You know, it's just happy. And, you know, and I want you guys to see, as silly as that illustration is, when you receive the free gift... And we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're united to Him in such a way that we're like the, le- the woman in the Mickey Mouse costume. God always, only, ever, always looks at you as if you're His Son. He covers everything of you. And He sees you as His Son. And God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit have eternally existed in full joy and love. And they will forever. And Romans, uh, John 17 talks about how we're, God will love us the same way as He does in Jesus. He only always interacts with us with that same love that he has for the that he has for the son god perfectly loving the son through the spirit that is this amazing free gift we have that's what defines us that's that's the more we can tap into that the more we can realize just about this crazy love that god has for us i'm going to read a passage of this uh this great book um, and then uh, we're not going to listen to that song. We're going to end after I read this. This is a great book called The Furious Longing of God uh, by one of my favorite writers and, and pastors named Brennan Manning. Uh, he's taught me a lot. Uh, I think we, I don't know if Ken's going to get any more of these books. Um, he sold like 10 of them in Colorado because I was hyping it pretty good and I gave away two. But uh, this guy's life was a mess. Um, he wrote this book towards the end of his life. He died a few years ago. Um, I think he was in his early 70s maybe. Uh, maybe late 70s. His life was a mess. And he starts this book. Oh, and the furious longing of God. What is the furious longing of God? To be with his people. To be with his beloved. His people in Jesus, who he, who he sees as dear. Only always ever delight in them. He sings over them with rejoicing and gladness. That's his... It's not furious of anger. Furious here is this word of full of energy, full of power and zeal. He describes it early in the book about a storm that came up and was tossing this huge boat he was on around like it was a toy. That's the, when you look up the word furious, it's not always about anger. Um, uh, so that's this, this picture of this furious longing. But he starts this book with this really, really, I think, potent, question, potent set of, of, of phrases. It says, I'm Brennan. I'm an alcoholic. How I got there, why I left... Why I went back is the story of my life, but it's not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I'm a Catholic. How I got there, why I left there, 
Why I went back is also the story of my life, but it is not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I was a priest, but I'm no longer a priest. I was a married man, but I'm no longer a married man. How I got to those places, why I left those places, is the story of my life too. But it is not the whole story. I'm Brennan. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That is the larger and more important story. Only God in His fury knows the whole of it. He kind of concludes this book um, with this picture. He again is a busted man who if you look back, he can look back over his life and his desire for his readers and anyone he could speak with was to help them understand that the God of the, of the Scriptures has such a crazy love for us. If we could but believe it, receive it, and rest in it, it might allow us to have more hope which would hopefully uh, help us to experience that as we go through our broken world and not be overwhelmed with our brokenness. He says the Gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that He lived, died, and rose again with but one purpose in mind to make brand new creations not to make people with better morals you know people who live right or whatever but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns within who would live in ever greater fidelity to the to the omnipresent word of god who would enter into the center of it all the very heart and mystery of christ enter the center of the flame that consumes purifies and sets everything aglow with what Peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friends, friends, is what it means to be a Christian. Christianity never begins with what we do for God. It always starts with what God has done for us. The great and wondrous things that God dreamed of and achieved for us in Christ Jesus. God loves us. It's amazing. We struggle to believe it and rest in it. That's because we often put ourselves in His place and forget that He's the one where our identity is wrapped up. Tomorrow we'll talk a little more about some pictures of that love from Scripture and hopefully give you guys a couple of of ideas and tools about how you can be reminding one another and yourselves about this great love. Let me pray for you guys and y'all go have an awesome day. Father, thank you so much for this day you've given us by your grace. I pray that you would uh, be merciful to us, keep us safe, help us to experience your love today through through simple things like laughter and conversation and food uh, and... and, uh, Um, the beauty of your creation. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who is um, with us wherever we go. We can take the free gift of your love um, with us wherever we go. And I pray where we have opportunity, we might share that love in a simple word of encouragement, a smile, a hug with those that we interact with because we live in a world that needs to know of this love um, and needs to hear of it over and over and over. Thank you again, Father, for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.